Lord, I also just want to pray for your servant, Nathan. Uh, just, a, just an amazing uh, young leader in our church. Uh, we are so thankful for he and his wife, Megan, and their new baby, uh, Father. And we just ask uh, that you would, uh, your hand would be on him as he preaches God's word to us, uh, that you would uh, settle him into your presence, that he would know that we all are just longing to hear your word uh, through your servant this morning. So we just ask for that uh, as we receive uh, your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ryan, and uh, thank you so much, Billy, uh, for leading us um, during that time. And um, if you would stand with me, I'm going to go ahead and, and read to us from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. Thank you. Well, Merry Christmas and uh, welcome to New City. I'm so excited to be with you all today. Uh, and specifically want to welcome you if this is your first time with us here at New City, which I I do want to give a quick disclaimer. I am not the normal one who preaches up here. Uh, So if anything goes wrong during today's service, um, I want you to know Ryan does a great job week by week and objectively speaking is far easier on the eyes than I am. Um, So come back (laughs) in in future weeks. Uh, uh, how good it is for us to gather together today on Christmas Day and just what is a helpful reminder of why we celebrate this day in the first place. I know many of you are probably tired. Uh, When I was growing up, my younger sister at five o'clock in the morning would sneak her way into the kitchen and grab whatever pot and pan she could find Um, And when clang them together, running through the house, and then when that would not work, she would go to her closet and get her trumpet uh, and run through the house blasting on the trumpet. So I know some of you parents here of of younger children uh, probably were up late and were up early um, and are feeling a bit of that exhaustion. For some of you children, you probably are like, why am I here listening to this man? I have toys at home. Um, (laughs) So... uh, Hopefully, many of us have hearts that are full with joy that is often associated with this day. During this time of year, all over the place, we hear the phrases mentioned in Luke chapter 2 of glad tidings, of of great joy 
um, and peace on earth and goodwill towards those with whom the Lord is pleased. It is no wonder that such phrases draw us in. Who doesn't like good news? Who doesn't enjoy having the opportunity to rejoice? As this day and the season pass, however, we are once again faced with our normal day-to-day existence. Probably even for many of us here, this day is tinged um, with, with sadness as we remember the fact that we do live in a broken world where peace is not fully realized yet. Um, what is that existence like? And while we all have many different circumstances, I think uh, an interview many years ago with a, a famous actor sums it up quite well. Uh, Harrison Ford, uh, by far one of the best actors of our age, if you know him from Indiana Jones or Han Solo from Star Wars, among many other films um, that old people know about. Um, we, uh, the, he, he's an exceptional actor who has had all kinds of success. And during one of his interviews, um, the interviewer was saying, all right, Harrison, you, you have all of these things. You've had all of this success. What more could you possibly want? And he said, peace. I want peace. Peace seems to be an impossibility today in our age of globalization, where we are connected with the many atrocities and sufferings of our world. In 2003, the New York Times had done an article where they had surveyed the previous 3,400 years of human existence, and they found that in that period of time, the human race was only at peace for 268 of those 3,400 years, or only 8%. The United States itself has been involved in a war for at least 93% of its existence. But it's more than just war, isn't it? Think about the things that shake your sense of peace. Economics. What are we going to do about the stock market? What are we going to do about inflation? Do I make enough money? Am I putting enough money away in my retirement? What will I do if, if my uh, emergency fund runs out? Is it politics? <laughs> if this law does or doesn't get passed, our world will fall apart. If this particular politician does or doesn't win, I can't imagine how we can move on as a country. Is it personal? I have to look a certain way to be worthy of affection. If I don't get good grades in school, then I'm stupid. I have to have a certain job in order to be esteemed. If I never find a spouse, I will never find joy. If my spouse doesn't change, I will never be happy again. My mother-in-law is coming. <laughs> on and on the list goes. What answers does the world give us? Fight the system. Remove the people from your life who affect your peace. Uh, look within yourself. Be true to yourself and you will finally feel peace. And yet all of those answers that the world gives to us, implicitly within them are telling us that there must be something that you work out for yourself in order for you to have peace. And yet we have all lived how fruitless 
that is. I cannot stop Vladimir Putin's madness. If I were to cut everyone out who affects my peace, I would have no one at all. How am I supposed to look inward and be true to myself when what is inside of me is my very problem? How are we to have the peace that our souls so desperately long for? Our big idea for today is God gives us the peace our souls long for by giving us himself. What is this peace that our souls ultimately are longing for? It, it is a supernatural peace. It is not a peace that is wrought by man as every man-made uh, peace has and will fail. There are hundreds of sermons and blogs about peace, but simply put, the biblical understanding of peace is not the absence of conflict, but instead is the surety that our safety and hope lie elsewhere than in the world we live in and the circumstances that we face from without and within. So our first point today is that we cannot have the peace of God until we have peace with God. Have you ever wondered why we don't have peace? Why is there brokenness? Why is there sadness? Why is there pain and loneliness and sin and war? Why is there chaos from without? Why is there chaos from within? Because we have rebelled against the God of peace. And we live in a world that has rebelled against its creator. The universe was made to operate a specific way, namely to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So when we rebel against God, we are committing a rebellion that goes against the very purpose and order of the universe. Naturally, then things fall apart. Uh, to help with this illustration, as I, I teach my eighth graders, um, I want you to think about your favorite board game, uh, if, if you like board games. Um, I know some of you don't, uh, but think of some game then that you enjoy. Uh, for, for me, for a time, my favorite board game was Monopoly. Uh, <laughs> I, I found that the different pawns that moved around on the board were, were kind of fun. Um, I always picked the top hat or the race car. Uh, it was fun to go around the board, purchase properties, Casually trick your opponents into deals that are only good for you. Slowly squeeze them in your all-powerful fist as you become intoxicated on the elixir of financial crime. And end the game with a financial empire built upon the exploitation of family and friends. Good times. <laughs> um, now... Like any game, uh, particularly with Monopoly, we sometimes come up with our own house rules, right? Um, we, we don't necessarily think that the way that the game is operating is really as good as it could be. So we're going to add some things, such as free parking is no longer free parking. Um, it is you get paid free parking. Uh, it is not in the original rules to put a $500 bill in the middle of the board that you get when you land on the free parking space. It really is just meant to be a free space. Um, however, 
when we add, tweak, or remove rules from a game, we are saying two things. First, that you think the developers of the game didn't make things good enough. And second, that you don't actually want to play their game, you want to play your own game. Now, while every analogy falls short, and praise God our existence is not a game, um, this in many ways is what we have done in our world. We look at how God has made things to work, how we may enjoy him and his goodness, and we have said, that's not good enough. I want to do it my way. However, unlike the rules of monopoly, we can't tweak the laws of God and make them go away. Creation still operates under the Lord's law and is held accountable as such. 1 John 3, 4 tells us that sin is lawlessness. Sin is not just breaking the law, it is a rejection of it, an embracing of a life that is cosmically lawless living. We have not believed the psalmist's words that the law of the Lord is good and revives the soul. We read chapters like Psalm 119 where the psalmist is gushing about the laws and the commands and the statutes and the rules of the Lord, and we say, this guy must be nuts. As those who have rejected God's law, we do not have peace with God. I'm talking a lot about laws and rules, and perhaps when I started to talk about laws and rules, uh, you, you started to shut me out maybe a little bit. Um, and, and being honest with ourselves, laws and rules have been abused. They have been misused. Um, and there's also the reality of our own sinfulness in our own hearts that doesn't like rules that aren't our own. However, I want you to think about marriage. Marriage is, first and foremost, supposed to be a reflection of Christ's love for his church. There are rules to marriage that if you want to experience the intimacy and the delight and the joy of marriage to its fullest, you need to follow the rules. The same then is to be understood in our relationship with the Lord. Know that the major, one of the major parts of the purpose of the law of the Lord is that we may be able to experience the depth and the intimacy of our relationship with him and to be who we were made to be. God's law is based upon himself. And so when we follow his law, we become like him and we draw near to him. So our rebellion is, is not just simply a distaste for rules. It is a rejection of God himself and his love and a rejection of our purpose. We have chosen our rebellion and chaos, not peace. And our peace can only be found when our rebellion ends in the presence of the Prince of Peace. But you and I know that we can't stop rebelling. We love our sin and are justly condemned as lawbreakers. This is why the good news of great joy that the angels bring to the shepherds is that God himself has come to save us. If we want peace in this world, we must have a peace that comes from outside of this world, accomplished by a power that is greater than this world, the light that shines in the darkness, the word that breaks through sin's cacophony, the eternal into the temporal. 
As we said, any man-made attempt at peace will fail. As anything man-made is tainted with the very rebellion that we have to be saved from. Jesus comes to restore us to himself and to give us peace. This peace is not meant to be a momentary feeling, but a lived reality. And we can dwell in this peace of God. That leads us to our second point, which is we will not dwell in the peace of God unless we cling to God's presence as our deepest need. What is the good news of great joy? That a Savior has come, yes, but not only a Savior, the Messiah, and not just anybody is the Messiah, it is God himself, the one who we have rebelled against, the one whom we have separated ourselves from, who we do not have peace with. He himself is the one who has come to save us from the condition we have placed ourselves in. All throughout scripture, time and again, Israel's history when they are faced with tumult, whether self-imposed or caused by the wickedness of the world around them, God time and again declares himself as the savior of his people. Isaiah 45, 21 through 22, declare and set forth your cause. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. But God does not simply save us from our struggle and our pain and our suffering and our tumult to then set us in a new place and say, now do better. Don't get into trouble again. Uh, if you remember Pastor Ryan's video from a few weeks ago of the sheep caught in the ditch um, that was uh, presumably in this person's farm or backyard, um, it's quite a large ditch, uh, and he, he pulls the, the sheep out of the ditch, and in a matter of seconds after setting the sheep to the side, it runs and does not fall in the ditch, no, it dives headlong into the ditch and gets stuck again. No, God does not rescue us to simply alleviate our danger or struggle. He rescues us for the purpose of bringing us to himself. If our sin alienates us from God, then salvation is meant to bring us to him. Think about the Israelites in, in Egypt and in their bondage. After the Lord frees them from a mirac with a miraculous display of his power, he leads the Israelites to Mount Sinai. And before the giving of the law, before the giving of the Ten Commandments, the Lord says in Exodus 19.4, you yourselves have seen what I have done, what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God does not discipline or rescue merely to teach us a lesson or to make our existence better. Though he does do that, he does it to show them that it is he and he alone within whom dwells all goodness forevermore. It is in his presence where we find all that our hearts long for because he is all that our hearts long for. If we do not see his presence as our deepest need, we will wander from his presence. And if we wander from his presence, 
we will not have peace. Why do the shepherds respond the way that they do when the angels come to them? Because they were desperate people. And we must identify with the shepherds for this good news to truly be great joy. Often when we hear about the angels coming to the shepherds, we are reminded of the fact that they were poor outcasts of society. Um, They uh, were ceremonially unclean due to the nature of their work. They were outcasts with no social standing who had no means of elevating themselves within their society. Luke in his gospel puts a heavy emphasis on the caring for the poor and the outcasts of society because for one thing, we see over and over again in God's word that he cares for the weak. He cares for the widow, the orphan, and the homeless. Uh, James tells us that pure and undefiled religion is this, caring for the widow and the orphan. We rightfully note that the angels come to the outcasts of society. But this is not just because of some humanitarian agenda. It is because only those who realize that they are desperate receive good news with great joy. You and I, I think, are tempted to identify with the shepherds that does not go far enough. We think of this as an underdog story, where the weak guys finally get the glory they deserve. But is that not completely contrary to what is going on here? They're receiving exactly what they do not deserve. And neither do we. Unless we see ourselves as destitute, we will not rejoice in the riches of Christ. If you can, think back to the time when the Lord revealed himself to you and brought himself to you. Think about uh, the the warmth. Let Let your heart swell again with joy. Why were you so overjoyed? Why were you filled with a delight or a calm beyond words? Perhaps it's because you realized you were forgiven that you were an adopted child of God, that you no longer have to live in condemnation, whatever it may be. But all those things were not simply intellectual ascents. They were lived experiences. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, who is God, came to dwell with you. That joy, that peace, that lived understanding of your forgiveness and your adoption was and is experienced Because God's presence is with you. And just as a quick note, we are so often unmarked by joy. The shepherds run out to tell everyone what they have received and seen. Because as desperate individuals with nothing, They were given everything. I want to read you a a quote here about the nature of rejoicing in Luke's gospel uh, by William Hendrickson. More emphatically than any of the other gospels, Luke's book underscores the necessity and privilege of rejoicing. Luke's gospel begins with five songs and ends with great joy and with continual praises to God. In the heart and center of the book, God himself is rejoicing in the saved sinner's joy. Now, is not that beautiful? The 
When we receive good news, don't we love to run and tell people about it? It would do us well as people to show how much we appreciate the good news we have received by allowing ourselves to be overcome with great joy. Still don't know if I'm going to clap during the service, but I'll, I'll work on it um, to, to show my great joy. Um, now, what, what sorts of things keep us from seeing God's presence as our deepest need? Uh, my mind goes to a book that uh, many of you may have read, uh, Where the Red Fern Grows. Um, yes, the groans say it all. Um, why do we read this in fifth grade? Um, I, I think about the things that are like on my mind as a fifth grader, right? I'm wondering why um, the scent of onions follows me wherever I go. Um, I'm trying to get Jenny to check yes on the box that says, do you like me? Um, I am not thinking about uh, skin trapping and uh, <laughs> um, about, and, and the, the book takes a turn for the worse, right? Kid falls on an axe. A dog gets mauled by a mountain lion, and the other one dies from sadness. Um, uh, you know, it's a, a heavy move, fifth grade. But um, one, of the, one of the moments within that book that has always stuck with me is about a raccoon trap. Um, and, and so the main character is trying to get himself some raccoons uh, to train his dogs on, on how to uh, search after, after these raccoons. And his grandfather gives him some advice, which is to take a, a log, drill a hole in the middle of it, and stick something shiny in the bottom of the log. And then to dra uh, drive nails to the inside of the shaft. And the raccoon, when it comes up to the log, will look inside and see the shiny object and will reach its paw in. Now, it can fit its paw in when it holds nothing, but once it grasps the shiny object, it no longer can pull its fist back out. And Billy says to his grandfather, well, that's ridiculous. Won't he just let go? And the grandfather says he will not let go. Um, we think to ourselves, and animals are stupid. Uh, just let go. Stop causing yourself so much unnecessary pain. And yet, is that raccoon much different from us? Think of Adam and Eve, the only people to ever experience peace the way that our world speaks of it today. And yet they chose destruction and rebellion because they did not see God's presence as their deepest need. In Genesis chapter 3, we read about how just like this raccoon, Adam and Eve behaved the same. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband who was with her and he ate. You see, we also reach out and grab the shiny thing and refuse to let go, thus sealing our own pain and death. How are you like that raccoon? How are you like Adam and Eve? What are you holding on to, even though you know it is your destruction? 
What if you were to share that with somebody this week? Begin to let go of the object. The things that we are willing to experience pain for are the things that we believe are our deepest needs. My friends, our greatest need is not financial security. Our greatest need is not to overcome singleness. Our greatest need is not to be liked or well-received. Our greatest need is for God to be with us. And if God is with us, then we lack no thing. God is the only one worth clinging to with such desperation. Yet there will be pain for clinging to God. There will be loss. But as Paul reminds us in Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. It is not that suffering, pain, and loss are meaningless. It is that God is worth it. And for our third point and final point, Jesus is not the way to peace. Jesus is our peace. God will not simply just make all bad things go away for all people. All sin is rebellion against the Lord. All evil is the opposite of who God is. And therefore, the only way for evil to end in us and around us, for us to have peace, is for us to be in Christ and Christ in us. We receive glad tidings of great joy. Peace comes to earth. Good comes to people because Jesus arrives. We cannot separate the benefits of Christ from himself. If we use Jesus to get us things, then those things are our God, not him. He did not come to earth to give us things. He came to earth to give us himself. And he does that because he loves his creation. My son is two months old now, uh, as of today. And so as you can imagine, I have learned everything there is to know about fatherhood. Um, and I know you Southern mamas are like, oh, bless your heart. Um, when I hear my son cry out, my heart is drawn to him. Yes, sometimes it can be annoying, but I long to go to him, to hold him close, and to make things right for him. My friends, how much more do you think the Father's heart is drawn to you in your pain, your brokenness, and your peacelessness. You who he loved before the foundations of the world, who he knit together in your mother's womb and called you to himself, do you not think he is drawn to you in your peacelessness and your pain? Throughout scripture, we see God seeing the pain and affliction of his people and coming to them. Exodus 3 7 through 8, the Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. You can see the depths of God's love and the severity with which he approaches the restoration of your relationship to him by what he does and what he gives to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. 
Glory to God in the highest. This is good news. This is great joy. Jesus, whose name means the Lord is salvation, is Emmanuel, God with us. And he does not come in glorious splendor or in rich palaces, but into poverty and anonymity. The one robed in majesty, now wrapped in rags. The king of creation who sat upon his throne of glory, now laying in a filthy food trough. The God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, born to parents of lowly estate. The one engulfed in the praises of angels, now received with the braying of donkeys and the bleating of sheep. The eternal God with no beginning and no end is born, marked for death. So many people ask, why won't God do anything about all of the suffering and the pain and the peacelessness in the world? And the answer is he has done everything everything that the righteous law requires and everything that righteous love allows. And for what purpose? That we may be with him and he with us. My friends, our pains and our longings, our disappointments and our fears are real, but they will never be assuaged. We will never find peace if we simply look for God to give us the things that we think will make us happy and to take away the things that make us unhappy. The good gifts are meant to turn our hearts to the good giver. I want to close with Revelation 21. Uh, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Because what we receive in Jesus at his first coming is a foretaste of the second coming. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And as I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the springs of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Why is Revelation 21 a reality? Because God is there. We long for Jesus to return, not because we don't want pain, not because we don't want suffering, but because we want him. After we take communion, we're going to close with joy to the world. This song was originally written as a second coming song. I believe it is completely appropriate that we sing it during Christmas season where we remember his first coming. But the foretaste that we have received when his presence first came to earth will be seen in full 
when he comes to dwell with us forever. Let us pray. Lord, may there be no sweeter thought to our hearts than you with us. May we not long for anything more than to simply be in your presence. God, we thank you that it's not just that we, we get to be in your presence. and No, Lord, it's that we get to be in your presence and experience all of the good blessings that come from being with you. But may we never put those blessings before you. May we never disassociate those blessings from you. It is in you and by you and through you that we will know goodness, not just in this life and in tastes and glimpses, but for eternity, where we will dwell in the presence of the Most High, who came to us and gave us this good news of great joy. It is in your Son's name we pray. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God, together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.